Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. Megan Smith is an Elizabeth Dole Foundation Fellow and joins us today as our guest. Megan is a caregiver to her husband who was injured in Afghanistan and a mom of two sons. In addition to her beloved role of mom to her boys, one of them requires additional care. Her oldest has severe myopia, asthma, and food allergies. Megan is kind enough to give us an inside peek at how she juggles her responsibilities while also being a mom, spouse, caregiver to her husband, caregiver to her son, and being Megan, finding time for herself, which is an idea I think we can all relate to. We look forward to hearing from you after the broad, after the podcast. Leave us a message and let us know your thoughts. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right. So today, Megan Smith is joining us. She's a Megan is a caregiver to her husband and also to her son, and she's going to talk to us today about. Um, being a dual caregiver, more specifically for her child. Um, but of course, we have to loop in um, the adults we care for, and in this case, our, her veteran, because it's, it's important. We, don't, we, don't, we can't caregive in um, single lanes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Megan, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your son? Oh, and Megan is also an Elizabeth Dole Foundation fellow. I should throw that in there, but... Tell us about um, your son and um, what what his situation is and what his needs are, if you don't mind. Sure. So um, my son name my son's name is Patrick and he's ten, and um, he has severe myopia. Um, he is about um, a negative fifteen in one eye and a negative fourteen in the other, um, and with glasses, he's only corrected to about like twenty forty. So like what I see without glasses, that's all he's corrected to. Um, and that's just because it, it is so severe that it won't be corrected and completely until he can wear contacts. But at the age of 10 with a boy, that's just not a good idea quite yet. Um, and then he has um, food allergies. He's allergic to milk in all forms, um, cheese, yogurt, uh, baked in. Um, and then with that, comes um, asthma, which um, it's not, uh, it's not um, athletic induced asthma, it's induced by allergies. So he is allergic to he has seasonal allergies that cause his asthma to act up. And then if he ingests milk, um, his asthma will act up. And that's actually how his food allergy is. Um, it's not anaphylactic in the sense that his throat closes, but his asthma can act up to a point where he can't breathe anymore um, if he ingests milk. So, you know, there's a lot of things there that um, have to be monitored pretty consistently. I just also, I'd like to mention that um, April is month of the military child. And because your husband is a veteran, your child um, who has special needs is a military child. Um, Then you have other children as well. 
I do. Um, we have another little boy, um, Charlie, who's eight, who um, doesn't seem to have anything at this point. It's, it was one of those, you know, things where one of them gets all of it. And <laughs> so, yep. Is, does Charlie, is Charlie um, sometimes like a caregiver as well? Does he jump in and help out? Um, he, he, it definitely affects him. He understands how serious all of Patrick's um, things are. And obviously my husband as well. But um, with Patrick, it's interesting. Um, if we are out somewhere and we recognize that he has ingested some milk and we say, like, Charlie, Patrick's not feeling well. He'll just say, let's go. You know, like, he understands this is an immediate thing. There's no fighting, you know, leaving or anything like that. Um, also, like, if Patrick's glasses fall off, like, when they're outside playing or something like that, Charlie understands that um, Patrick, there's nothing Patrick can do. He can't find the glasses. He can't walk anywhere. He has to just stand there for someone to help him. Um, and Charlie will find the glasses walk him someplace to sit down until Charlie can get the glasses, you know, something like that. So he is a caregiver in a sense, if we're not around, um, but he also, he's a very laid back child. So none of it seems to phase him. He doesn't ever get anxious about it. It seems I'm an anxious person. So I'm always amazed by how laid back he is about all of it <laughs> as an eight year old. <laughs> he also doesn't know any different, you know, he, I mean, up, we already knew about Patrick's allergies and his eyes by the time, uh, well, not his eyes yet, but um, within a year of Charlie being born, we found out about his eyes. And then when my husband was injured, um, my husband is a, a single amputee, um, up and above the knee amputee. Um, Charlie was two, so he doesn't know much different difference there either. He doesn't have any memory of my husband not being injured, so... It, all of this doesn't phase him as much as it phases the rest of the family. This is all he knows. So it's normal for him. <laughs> so, so, you know, quote unquote normal, right? Cause what's normal. Mm -hmm, but, exactly. Um, he, but he kind of really seems to flow with what, what life is all about for him. And, and probably he would say, wow, it's so weird in your family to one of his friends because, you know, you don't have all these things going on. Like, he, he just sees all life just happening in, a normal, in the only thing that he's ever known. And probably your other son, too. And your other son is Patrick, your son who has yes. the visual problems? Yes. How did you know that something was um, missed with his vision? Well, so actually, you know, we had started to notice things like he would get closer to the TV and things like that. But when you look that up for a two or three year old, it says um, that they think they're part of what's happening and it's pretty normal. So I didn't, I didn't question it for, I had, you know, I had thought about it, looked it up and it said that it, it seemed like a normal behavior. Um, but he was going to the child development center on post just for hourly care. So I could get some stuff done. And, um, one of the teachers there said something to me that he looked at the books very closely and he got really close to other, the other kids. Um, <laughs> and she just, she felt like he needed to get his eyes checked and, and we took him and yeah, lo and behold, I mean, they were very bad. Um, so you know, Megan, my son um, became ill mm -hmm. in the first grade, thereabouts, mm -hmm. and it was his teacher who alerted me to what was going on, and eventually he had to have surgery, but it, was, it wasn't 
I didn't know what was going on. And I do have to say, as a mom, I felt, I felt wonderfully grateful that the teacher saw it and alerted us. But, but then I also felt some guilt because I thought, well, how did I not know this? How did I not see this? Exactly. It was the same thing with the asthma. Um, they called me to come get him one day and they said, I think he's having an asthma attack. And I said, he doesn't have asthma. And they were like, well, I think he does. And I, I just, you know, when it's your first kid, you don't know what these things are. And I mean, I don't have asthma. My husband doesn't have asthma. It wasn't something that I was familiar with. And the eyesight issues, I should have had a better, I feel like I should have had a better grasp on it. My dad um, is legally blind. And, uh, but then I didn't have an issue. My sister didn't have an issue. My sister has four children. None of her kids had an issue. And so I just kind of felt like it was something that had, um, you know, genetically been removed from, from us. Um, but it wasn't. And, um, and right. There's that guilt that, um, and then, you know, unfortunately there's lots of guilt afterwards every time you go to the doctor and they start asking questions and you don't have answers and it's, yeah, it's a difficult, it's difficult. <laughs> I think when we have military kids and the, family member who's the veteran um, is disabled or has been um, wounded and had to recover from that. I think that those kids take on a whole new um, attitude and, and a, a different outlook on life. And I know um, Mary's kids are, are grown now, but I think they experience some of those things as well. Yes. Well, so um, my, my kids were nine and 10 when Tom had encephalitis. So long before he had the diagnosis of ALS. And even before that, our oldest was asthmatic. He became asthmatic as a toddler. So our mm-hmm. youngest, Kate, um, doesn't really, doesn't know life any different, much like your children, Megan. She doesn't, she just doesn't, they don't remember really Tom before them. You know, nine and 10 years old, imagine they kind of spotty memories of what he was like right. before but they were too young to know him you know as a human <laughs> mm-hmm. as opposed to you know just thinking about him as a dad back then but they they've said to me they don't they don't really remember a lot of him before that and man Kate was great at helping Sean with his asthma you know and he and Sean had the same kind of asthma as Patrick it's not athletically induced at all so no exercise brings on the asthma, but it's more intrinsic. So if he gets a cold or he was exposed to an allergen, he had a lot of allergies when he was a boy and he outgrew them and you get all that mucus and then he would start swelling up and she was right there with the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's, um, yeah, that's exactly where we are. Um, and you know, it's, it's very difficult. Patrick has worked in, DC area and the cherry blossoms are in bloom and oh it's so beautiful but it's also terrible for people with allergies (laughs) and so this past week has just really hit him and um they called me to pick him up from school um on Tuesday and then yesterday he stayed home and uh he's trying and then he had to skip his first baseball practice last night for the season and he was so upset and um he's at school this morning because he's supposed to read at church on Friday with school. And he doesn't, he feels like they won't let him if he doesn't 
<laughs> get to school today. And I, I, you know, I feel for him. It's a lot. It's hard on him. And um, recess is going to be really hard on him. And, you know, you tell him to take it easy. But a 10 year old boy, that's really tough to have to have a kid take it easy, you know? Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And if your children go to Catholic school, correct? So if he's not in school they do. on Friday, he might not be able to do the reading in church on Sunday. It, well, it's they have church every Friday, so the reading oh, is God. right. And so, yeah, and so his um, he if he's not there today to practice, he might not be able to do the reading tomorrow. So we'll see. He's I I, <laughs> I think he'll be fine. His teacher, yeah, I talked to her yesterday, but it's one of those things that he's very nervous about. Um, and it happens every year at this time, and it's very tough. Um, it happens at this. This time of year, which is the start of baseball, so he usually misses a bit of baseball because of his asthma, and then it happens at the beginning of the school year um, in the in the fall when the with the change from summer to fall, and um, he's running cross country at that point, and then he'll end up with some asthma, and he won't. He'll start out the cross country season doing great with these expectations of. Um, you know, really having a great season and then his asthma will start up and he won't be able to do some of the races and some of the races he'll go and he just, his performance is, is just not what he had expected from himself. And it's upsetting for him. So it's tough. Yeah. How do you help him handle the disappointments? I think that, cause I think as a parent, that's one of the bigger things that we grapple with. Cause I, as you're saying all of this, I, you know, I understand and I relate so much to it. You know, Sean, my, my son was allergic to pine trees. So, you know, we didn't know that for years. <laughs> Talk about uh-huh. cold. We got, we got, you know, pine trees every year at Christmas and the poor thing was sick every Christmas. He was in the throes of asthma that would last days. And I, we, I felt so bad when I realized that. And of course you can't, you can't help it if you had known you wouldn't have done it. But I do know that there were times like playing baseball and soccer and things like that, that um, it was disappointing for him. And I, it was a challenge to, to get him to rise above that and then complicate that when his dad got sick. There was always this, for me as the caregiver, there was always this split attention. And, I, and your husband got injured um, when the boy was how old. Yeah, um, Patrick was four and Charlie was two, so they were quite young. Mm-hmm. Well, that must have been um, well balanced for you. It was really difficult. Um, you know, they were very young. Patrick had just uh, Patrick had done his first year of um, preschool, um, and like he was, my husband was injured on June eighth, so Patrick was still in preschool when he was injured, and. Um, I try, you know, you don't understand what's happening when um, you get that call that somebody's injured. You, you just have no idea what the rest, what things are going to be like. And so my mother and father-in-law had come up. Um, we were at Fort, in Fort Drum, New York, had come up and they stayed with him. He had another week of school. And so they just stayed with the kids while I came down here to Walter Reed to get everything figured out. And um it was really scary for the kids. It was the first time that they had ever really been away from me. Um, and, you know, Matt had, that was the first time Matt had deployed with us having children. So Matt had been gone for about six months at that point. So I can imagine how 
um, scary it was for them that their dad had left for six months and then all of a sudden their mom leaves um, and they're staying with their grandparents who they are familiar with definitely I mean they had just been with them the weekend before like they definitely they knew them but it wasn't a normal thing for them Um, and it was very scary Um, and then when they got here when my when my mother and father-in-law brought them here to Walter Reed um, they were um, I, I don't I don't know what the right way to handle it is but I don't I always feel like we didn't handle it the right way to re with reuniting them we just brought them into his into his hospital room um and they knew that he was injured and I, but we I had told them the night that it the the next night after I had found out um as much as you can tell of two and four year olds um yeah, yeah. and um but I think it scared them you know he was um on a, there was a lot of tubes and um machines and um it was very scary. Um, and we were living in a hotel and, you know, it's all, it's all very confusing at that point. Um, you don't know. I think for many kids in that situation, that may be the first time they've ever been in a hospital. Yeah, definitely. They had been to, <laughs> they're little boys. They had been to the ER before, but <laughs> they had never been in, um, right. A hospital room. That's like, this is a, it's obvious this is where you're staying, you know, so that's, um, right. Exactly. It was, it was really difficult on everybody. Um, and you know, Patrick, as I said, was four. Um, he had done, he had already done pre-K in New York. Um, and we moved here to Maryland and, um, I had had, I had him signed up for kindergarten in New York, but here, the ages are, were different, which was fine because I think, you know, for a boy, sometimes it's better, but I didn't to repeat at the younger age, but I didn't really, I was so um, misinformed or just, uh, just misunderstood about what was happening with us. I didn't sign him up for school until it was like August. It was a week before school started. And I realized we're not going back there. Like, yeah, we're not going back. Right. He's, he isn't going to that school in a week. Like, I don't know what I'm thinking and he needs to go to school. And, um, and so then there was this rush around to try and get him, um, some, some, um, some normal behavior, you know, like you should be in school. It's September, you know, and you should be doing these normal things. And, this is our new normal. And yes, we live in a hospital, um, but you are going to continue your life the way that it's supposed to be, even though the rest of it may be completely different than any other life that you've had or seen, you're still going to go to school every day. And um, yeah, and it was, you know, that ended up being the best thing for us. I have to say our boys school um, became our soft place to land when um, we lived in the hospital and every day was filled with um, you know, PT and OT and doctor appointments <laughs> and all these things that are just not normal for kids. And it was so nice for them to have, a, for, you know, Patrick had that place to go. And then it really became, um, you know, the sporting events, different things just became a great family for us um, also. And those, the people in my son's class, the parents in my son's class, in my, um, in Patrick's class, have become our best friends. They've seen us, you know, remember there was a uh, picnic 
like a couple days before school started just to get the kids to know each other at a park. And uh, it was something Matt had already been fitted with a prosthetic, but um, there was something wrong with his leg at that day. And he went to the picnic just on crutches without a leg. Mm-hmm. And I remember like nobody blinked an eye, like nobody, <laughs> it's obviously a very different thing to see. Um, but they, they just really knew us from, from that point, that was the first time we met them. And I think that was the best way for them to meet us because they met us really at our lowest point and have seen the progression and they've been so supportive and it's been so wonderful and it's really been helpful for Patrick. Um, because like I said, he does, he does remember a lot of it and, um, it was a process for him, um, and I, I think it's been good that he's had those kids uh, to stick with this whole time that yeah. knew everything. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because you, you live in a part of the country where there are a lot of kids who have grown up with parents that have come home from service with disabilities, mm-hmm. visible, invisible, but they're, they're aware of the process. They're aware of the new lifestyle, but um, we're from an area I, you know, I raised my son in, southern indiana where that's just it's really not the case i don't know that my son knew anybody growing up in our community that that had somebody in their family who'd come back from war with with disabilities and um i'm i'm wondering if you if you find that easier if or if you think that maybe it's putting your kids into this lane where they're they're more mature than their peers are um elsewhere you know when they get to college they're going to have the experience of you know decades more than than their peers. Right. Um, you know, I actually um, think that most military kids are more mature than their peers. Um, I think they more is expected of them. Uh, they've seen a lot more um, in their life uh, in general. Um, but I do, again, we live in an area where there are a lot of kids whose parents are in the military too, not just wounded, but, you know, just in general in the military. So, he relates to that. Um, there are more kids who have higher expectations than, um, than the general population, I would say. Um, you, do you think it's a- easier for you, um, because of where you live to be a, a caregiver, um, and, and to have assembled this new life because you did assemble a, a completely new right. life. <laughs> Right. We did. We did. And we, and we purposefully did it here. Right. Because it is easier on all of us. It's easier on my husband because Walter Reed's right there. He can, you know, go to prosthetics. He's where, you know, he can go to the gym and not be stared at. He can, you know, there's all those things that are easier and just more comfortable for him. It's um, easier on me because yes, there are um, a ton of different caregiving groups. Um, There's support groups. There's just, um, uh, social groups um there there are more resources for me and then yes and my kids they're the same exact thing um and it isn't um it isn't the same as uh you know living at fort sale or at fort drum or any of those major um posts with military kids everywhere but there are definitely military kids around and they understand um and we are aware of all 
the resources that are there to support us because of where we are. There are so many resources. And so my kids are able to go on, you know, we go on retreats and there are other kids who, um, whose parents are injured. And then it's interesting to me how quickly my kids become friends with um, children of other wounded warriors um, in comparison to just, you know, being at the park and meeting other kids. It's like they immediately understand that they have yes. something in common. Yeah. And um, I don't know what it is exactly. Cause obviously I don't have that exact same experience. Um, and that, cause I, I do, I feel like that with some caregivers, but I don't feel like it with every caregiver. I, cause I do think that situations are uh, different in the amount of care that is needed for different people is different. And so everyone has a different reality with that. But with kids, I feel like they have that same feeling of there's something different about the, their family. And so when they meet someone else who has that same difference, they, they just bond immediately. It's amazing. I think uh, children are much more resilient than we are. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that we're talking about this because I've had a couple of bumps in the road and really want to to be more resilient. Mm-hmm. So um, this is going to inspire me to get to that place. Um, we're not sure if Mary is still with us. Can yeah, you I hear me? Dis- oh, good. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I had gotten disconnected there for a second and hopped back on too. So <laughs> It's our low-tech podcast. <laughs> it works. No. Well, we appreciate so much you giving us so much of your time this morning, Megan. I I think you shared some great information for people who are listening and wondering how do you juggle all these things. <laughs> You're so good at it. Oh, thank you. It's <laughs> one of those things that you know what you don't even feel like it just becomes it is your new normal. You know, especially with the kids. Um, that's I've been doing that since with Patrick since way before Matt was injured. And that that was harder. I have to say, learning how to cook things without milk was probably way harder than learning how to deal with a husband with one leg. I don't know how, but it's ingrained in you your whole life, just the way that everything seems to have milk in it. But, oh, my goodness. And I feel like at least I had to – we were at Walter Reed, and somebody was teaching us how to do all the um, PT and OT and all those things. But – that was all on my own with the allergies. I'm sure you understand that, Mary. That is a really big learning curve, I feel like. It is a big learning curve. And there's something that's so, um, it's like, it's, it's sort of like you're on fire when you're a parent and you have to be looking out for all these dangers for your kids. And as much mm-hmm. as taking care of Tom has always been really important, there's nothing quite like your kids that need you to go above and beyond Exactly. Right. I mean, especially when they're extremely young and there's no way for them to do it themselves. You know, um, there's stuff that Matt can't do for himself, but he, he at least understands that, too, and will stop. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, but with a child, they don't always understand that they can't do something and they won't stop. Um, so they can't read the ingredients on something. They can't. Um, they just don't always know, um, especially when he was younger. Cause I mean, we found out he was allergic to milk when he was nine months old. So, I mean, he was a baby. So it was really, really tough, but. 
And Jennifer, you Jennifer also raised her son while when her brother was injured. How old was Grant when um, James was injured? Um, Grant was in the third grade. Um, in fact, I remember that my brother came home on leave from Iraq, and he he visited my son's class. My son went. That was oh my gosh, he was so excited to have my brother there. I'm sorry, I'm going to get a little bit. Um, I'm going to get a little bit emotional about that. Um, it was a, such a weird time. You know, we had spent hours upon hours at the post office sending care packages. And, you know, here my, is my son who's eight, and he hated standing in line. Just He still is not a person that has a great deal of patience. <laughs> and um, so for me, it was so important to send all these care packages and stand in line. And then, you know, for him, it was taking away from playtime and all of these things. But then when my brother came home for leave he was just over the moon to be able to take him to school and the kids were all just so um maybe they had a real life hero that at that time the war was still on tv every day and all day long and um they were just at that age where they could kind of get it a little bit i guess right um gi joe sort of was in their classroom and the teacher and i structured it um, in a really safe way, and we had made copies of, of money that my brother had brought back, some Syrian money and some Iraqi money, and we made copies of it and gave all the kids a copy of this money. And, the, and then we did uh, Q&A at the end. And, um, and the, of course, this is, you know, my brother's not, not wounded at this point. I mean, he's wounded, but he's not, he's not like, he, like he was after. And um, when one kid asked if he had to kill people. And we had prepared for that a little bit in the car. And, um, my brother just, he just locked eyes with me. And I just looked at him and shook my head and kind of smiled. And he said, you know, in war, people, people die. And that's all he said. And then we moved on to the next question. But um, I'll never forget that. And they made, made posters for him. And it was just... It was the sweetest thing. I'll have a, I have a picture at home, and so I'll, when I finally get back home, I'll, I'll take, I'll share that on our Facebook page, um, this caregiver life. But um, it was handled much differently after my brother um, came back and was in the warrior transition unit, and I was trying to deal with all of the neurology issues and the mobility issues and all those things. And what I mean by that is that my brother had an extremely difficult time being around my son because of some of the things that had happened in Iraq with kids. <clears throat> and that was the hardest part. Because, you know, in my mind, I didn't think it was so hard for me to think, well, how could, you know, this little boy who's basically your brother is, <clears throat> you know, can bring you bad feelings. He should all, it should only bring you good feelings. But... I get it now so much more than I did then. As Grant got older, then it was a lot easier for them to interact and communicate. And now they are, you know, they're the best of friends. And anything that my brother needs, my son, you know, is there. There have been times when I've been on the road and, and Jamie has been sick. And my son has had to step in and be the person um, making sure my brother has fluids and um, it's gets the right medication and it has taken him to many doctor's appointments and I, I probably couldn't do this without him. 
Well, I think those are such great points that you're making. And I think with Megan's children still young, um, I hope it gives you hope when you, when you um, hear that um, Jennifer's son, um, how he is with James and um, the kind of man that he grew into. And my kids as well, they're such great, um, compassionate young adults. And they, and they too step in for their dad, you know? So we're sort of seeing the whole spectrum here, I guess, on this um, podcast this morning. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I do feel like my kids are much more compassionate than um, their age, than they should be for their age. So I, I do think that it has to do with um, their dad and everything they've seen. You know, they did, they, we lived on Walter Reed for six months. They saw things that most adults don't see and they understood it and they talked with people. They, they understand that regardless of um, what your disability is, that has nothing to do with what your abilities are. They've seen people do seen people do things that they definitely most people would not think that they could do. They don't question what anyone's abilities are, and um, they 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 teach me things every day about that. Still, and <laughs> I feel like I have a pretty open mind about it. And my kids teach me things daily about <laughs> other people's abilities. <laughs> so. I love that. That's a, that's a great note to, to end on. We don't want to take up your morning here, <laughs> but we really appreciate your time. And um, Jennifer is joining us from the West coast today. So it's, it's early for you, Jen. We appreciate you waking up. <laughs> I'm, I'm always in for this caregiver life. You know that. Okay, cool. Well, we'll let you know when we get this posted. And um, we, we really appreciate you sharing with us this morning, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Okay, cool. Talk to you guys later. Bye, everybody. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on This Caregiver Life. Please visit us on our This Caregiver Life Facebook page for stories of interest and caregiving tips. As we find them, we like to share them. We'd love to hear from our listeners. And we welcome feedback, messages, ideas for future podcasts. We welcome ratings on our podcasts. We just welcome all of our listeners. We care about each one of you, and we hope each one of you are good to yourselves. Till the next time. Mm-hmm.